You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Admired by fans and peers alike for his majestic tenor voice, Lauren L. Harris has become the symbol of talent and integrity in a career that spans over five decades. He is the only person in history to be a member of three distinct Hall of Fame organizations, Gospel Music Hall of Fame, Kentucky Music Hall of Fame, and the Amateur Radio Hall of Fame. He was twice inducted into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame, both as a solo artist and as part of the Gaither Vocal Band. From the White House to the danger zone of the 38th parallel, Larnell has impacted audiences across the globe with his music. He was the first Christian artist to perform inside the Kremlin after the fall of the Soviet Union. Well, Larnell Harris is here today to discuss his autobiography entitled Shaped Notes, How Ordinary People with Extraordinary Gifts Influenced My Life and Career. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct honor to introduce to you Gospel Music Hall of Famer, Larnell Harris. Welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be with you. So, so with all of that, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about your book because one, right. one thing I've read, Larnell, is I read your book from cover to cover. And <clears throat> what made you decide to write your memoir, Shaped Notes? Well, I, I remember being in, uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, Danville, Kentucky, my hometown. They were getting an award, and so was I. So we were there having lunch at the Capitol, and a, and a lady from Danville asked me that same question. And she said, well, you're not old enough to be writing a book. What's it going to be about? I said, you know what? It's not about me, but it is all about those folks who spoke into my life. I mean, starting from the first grade, those mentors those people who wouldn't let you stop, wouldn't let you give up, who kept encouraging you, uh, you know, like like Miss Georgia Dunahai. Miss Georgia Dunahai was a lady who taught piano lessons to every kid in town. I mean, whether you wanted them or not, and she had somehow coaxed my mother into thinking that there was virtuoso in these little fingers, you know, and so I took piano lessons with Miss Georgie and thought that that was going to be it. She found out that I could carry a tune. I was a boy soprano. So listen, in little town, in little town of Danville, Kentucky, you're a boy soprano singing all those high notes. That that was not a good thing. Okay. That was not something you did. So uh, it, 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 she started taking me around to various little events there in Danville, including singing at our church, First Baptist Church, Danville. I'm singing stuff like the Lord's Prayer and How Great Thou Art, all those old wonderful standards in this uh, uh, an octave, an octave above everybody else. So uh, she was a mentor, and mentors sometimes can get on your nerves. I mean, and she she really did. She went to my mother, uh, uh, Doctor Ward and Doctor Bond, and said, "You know, you should not let Larnell play any sports or any." In, especially in the dust, you know, because that will hurt his voice. Listen, that what nine or ten year old wants to hear that? So that's how it all started. I started thinking about you know, no one does. You talk about Hall of Fames and awards and all that kind of stuff, which are, you know, these are gifts I believe from the Lord to allow me to 
get my feet in some doors that I would not otherwise be able to get in. And then I'm there with the gospel and I'm there with, and sometimes you don't have to say a word. You just, you're just there, just be, you're not odd. You're not, you're not, um, you know, otherworldly. You're just a guy who has been saved by grace. So, so, um, you know, that's really how this all kind of got started. So I go back to the fact that no one does anything by themselves on their own. And she wasn't the only one. Man, you will read, as you read the book, you'll hear, you'll read stories about Mr. Summers, about Miss Margaret, Miss Margaret in first grade. I couldn't, I couldn't spell my name, you know? So she wrote it on a piece of paper. And it was, it was wrong, but it was something, okay? So now it's time for me to get out of the first grade to leave Miss Margaret. I wasn't having it, <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> I love this lady, not to marry or anything like that. I don't think about that, but I just, she was so kind and so loving and and uh, took time with all of us kids. And I just had said, you know what? I am not leaving this woman. I am going to stay in the first grade and stay here. So she and Mr. Summers and my mom and dad got together and they put together this little vignette and uh, it had to do with her saying to me, not that she didn't care for me anymore or that she didn't love me or any of that, but I had to move on. Uh, she, she, she knew that there was great stuff out there for me. I mean, this was, this was well done, okay? There, there, there's not a better production that's ever been done. And, and so I went on to the second grade, but I, uh, I look back on that Miss Margaret, it wouldn't have mattered if I was in the first grade or if we were in high school. She was not going to let any of her students quit. She was not going to let us stop. There was a, <clears throat> there was a world out there that they were preparing us for, those teachers who were, you know, you, I don't know why we think that all teachers are from California or Houston or, <clears throat> or excuse me, Atlanta from somewhere. Most of those, most of those folks grew up right there in Danville, Kentucky. This was an African-American school. There were, there was, it was, it was, it was our school. And, um, and, and, and any one of those teachers would have said pretty much and did throughout the years would say the same thing. There was one, it was one old lady who was the librarian, little uh, unknown, unbeknownst to me, she and her family lived down the street from my grandparents when my dad was growing up. So Miss Fisher, who is now 90 years old in a nursing home, I walk into her room, into her room. She's in a wheelchair. She's 90 years old. She looks up at me and my wife, Mitzi, and she says, there is no one else that I would rather see. How are you? And then along with our conversation every once in a while, she'd stop and she'd say, now I've got a little dementia. Did I say that? Did I, did I say <laughs> But what a delightful time it was. And it was, it, it all brought me back to the people who had spoken so much into my heart and into my life. And I simply wanted to say two words to them. Thank you. That's how this all got started. And, you know, Lord, uh, now, what, when I read your book, 
to me, it became more than just your story. It became a life manual, not only for myself, but also for others that can follow. Because as you're describing all of these, some of these people in your life, I, as I was reading your book, it's like the Lord's hand was upon you in that very moment. So, you know, tell Arnell not to go play uh, football. We don't want dust in that voice. But then from there, you moved to the Lord kind of placed you in the hands of another person and then another person. And each one had their hands on this lump of clay that molded you. And then just absolutely amazing. And this is why, you know, I, so once I finished your book, I was going around telling people, you got to read this book. It's not just this story, but there's something you can learn from it. And because your story goes back into a time that I think a lot of people kind of forgot. I mean, your dad was a bootlegger of all things. And, and I even yeah. learned some things by reading that because I'm thinking, okay, so it was legal to make moonshine, but it was illegal to sell it outside <laughs> of your home. And, yeah. uh, and then, you know, reading it where, um, your father went to prison for a year, but he came out with a trade. The Lord had, you know, even you said it in your book, as your mother was praying for your father, sometimes when the Lord answers the prayer, sometimes prison can be involved. And that took me back. And I was like, the Lord can take some bad situations and mold us into something good. Is that what you saw when your father came out of prison? That is exactly what I saw. And I also saw that during the time when he was there, my mom and I, I don't remember missing anything or, you know, of course we missed him and wanted him at home, but, you know, she had prayed for him so long. And, you know, the lesson here is that sometimes, as you have mentioned, those prayers and and fulfilling those prayers sometimes take a road that we would not want to go down but it is totally necessary and that was my dad and i have to tell you um in in the story of of growing up and having mentors my mother who went probably finished the third grade my dad maybe the eighth grade i i don't know what it is about kids <laughs> who always think that they know more than, than their parents and that they, uh, that the parents just, you know, they don't know what's going on in the world. What, what, what do they know? You know what? Those are, those are two of my heroes. They were the most intuitive two people that I believe I've ever met because they had knowledge way past books and way past college degrees and were able to, um, keep uh, keep me safe you know the bible talks about that that's what the holy spirit does that's what that's what was done to um you know paul talks about that as he speaks of uh, uh of 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 the holy spirit protecting and keeping uh uh, uh people uh, uh in uh, uh, protecting them until such time that the gospel comes full circle and you re you receive it into your heart and your life, uh, uh, keeping you safe until you actually make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, I. you talk about then meeting someone else and then someone else and God, this is all, these are steps that are all ordered. And you then look back and you see 
stuff that you are now doing that you would never have volunteered to do that you have been prepared for because God had put someone in your heart and in your, in your life to say just the right things and to teach you just the right stuff to prepare you for that moment and that time. It is, it is amazing. It is a wonderful work of the Lord, and well, I'm so thankful for it. Ladies and gentlemen, you just got a Bible lesson from Larnell Harris, and, and take heed to those words because the Lord is right there every step of the way. Now, Larnell, in your book, and I want to quote a line from your book, and it says, listen, pain is a part of God's plan <coughs> for our lives. It refines us. So let me ask you, what pain do you remember that wasn't just a defining moment, but a refining moment for you? I have to tell you, you know, I was I was um, singing loud enough and I was certainly singing high enough um, and I lost my voice. There, I went through a period of time where I couldn't sing. I mean, I could I had really sung myself out to tell you the truth. I was in a group and we were doing concerts all over the country, uh, uh, high school assembly programs we were doing in those days and um, sometimes doing two and three programs a day. And I was singing and I was the leader, the, the out front guy, you know, and I had to do the talking and the singing and I lost it. And I started, uh, uh, the company sent me around to doctors all over the country, probably some in Houston and around in Texas. And I know I went to California and they would play, uh, we had a little recording and they would play that for the doctor and speech pathologist and they would listen and they'd say, well, maybe you're not going to be able to do that. Okay. Uh, and so I went on a year's rest. I wrote notes, man, that was tough <laughs> just to write notes. And, and, and uh, in fact, when I auditioned for the first recording, I could, I could hardly sing. And, um, we decided to go ahead with it. And boy, that was an act of God. I finally figured out that it was not about voice. I came out of college. I was a worst major. You know, I knew I could sing. Gee, that's that's what I've been trained to do. And now I can't. And then I said, you know, you go through those stages of anger and bewilderment. And I mean, this is a psychological thing. Um, and and finally, I reached the point where I said, uh, I, I really steeped in scripture. I mean, I took a bath. I took daily baths in the word. And I got to the point where I could say, Lord, if you are going to allow my voice, you know, allow me not to sing, then you must have something awfully good coming. Because the scripture says that you, you, are, you are nothing if you are not about good and perfect gifts. This didn't come from you. This is not that. And then the revelation came. This is not about voice. This is about trust. You've been trusting in, you know, your vocal ability and where you could put yourself from, uh, from a career point of view. This is not about that. You're going to have, I want you to trust me. And when I began to um, grow up and, and, and continue to stay in the word of God, I, I understood that it was that he wanted me to trust him and not in what I could do. And then because I had the greatest opportunity in the world, not of singing in the Kremlin or in Korea or, uh, or at the White House or, or Carnegie Hall, 
but it was to be able to put myself in the place where God could do his work in my heart and in my life. And I have to tell you, um, uh, that was quite a lesson. Uh, I, I, I love to sing, and, and, uh, and, but, but under the scrutiny and the light of the word of God, it became the thing that I did, but it wasn't me. It wasn't my life. My life was in trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where, and that's where our whole lives are supposed to be in total trust. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to our own understanding, but to acknowledge Him in all of our ways, and He will direct and he our will paths. Direct our paths. But sometimes, you know what? You gotta, you gotta take a little pain in order to get there. You know, it's this is the, this is the secret. Everybody knows this. Sometimes you go to the doctor; he's got to hurt you. <laughs> he's got to hurry and help you. You know. I, I don't care for that. I, I, I went to the doctor and, and that's he talked about all I'd go through for a particular procedure. And I said to him these words, is there someone else in this building that I can talk to? <laughs> because that doesn't sound very good to me. But 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 pain sometimes is a way that God gets our attention and he doesn't cause the pain, but he allows it for our good and his glory. Well, let me ask you another question that's kind of related to pain here because it was it, it was an area of your book that really had me <laughs> sitting down and really thinking. So I want to ask you directly. So the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In your book, you state that you tasted the world and it was sweet in my mouth. But when it got to my stomach, it soured. What part of the world soured for you to choose Jesus's lead instead of your own path? All of it, <laughs> all of it. You know, it promises the moon. It promises uh, 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 the way to success, uh, the way to, to uh, glory and fame. And you know, I, I, there's not a person listening to me that doesn't, that, that wouldn't like all of those things. Listen, we are all, that's how we are wired. And it takes something to say, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the world, but not of it. Uh, I, I, uh, um, you know, these things are enticing. And if you don't answer questions before the questions are asked, you might make the wrong decision. So I learned this from an old boy that uh, helped me get my, helped me really understand my faith a little better. I grew up in church. I was singing in church and I had all that. I had all those answers in my back pocket because I had heard them in a Pentecostal holiness church, the Baptist. And when I met an old boy, the name was Stan Morris. And he's a trombone player, professional trombone player. And he's, we, we developed a friendship and he, he did what Christians do. He started witnessing and he said, you know, you talk about being a Christian. What does that mean to you? And I began to tell him all of those things that I'd heard. I mean, I had it. I had it down. Okay, and 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 not that I was trying to fool anybody, but that's what I was going on: the the singing and the the, the being in church. And all you can be in church, you can memorize the whole Bible and still not not have Christ in your heart. And so he asked me. He said. He said. Can you remember a time when you've asked Christ into your heart? And I could remember that time. And so he said, here's, that's, that's, that's it. When, and when, when I did that, 
I, I was just out of college. I began to understand that, that my decisions and, and where I was going in life, I need, really needed to consider another entity because I'd only been considering one, mine. And boy, when I, and that didn't happen overnight, but it began to happen little by little. And uh, some of the things that I had auditioned for and things that I would go, was, was going to do, all of a sudden now, there's another voice here that I've got to answer to. And I've got to say, is that, okay? is that something I should do? Boy, I really need to pray about that. And man, that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of whether you're going to follow um, the world and what it offers because from scripture and from a, a, a real relationship with Jesus Christ, you begin to see the fallacy in all of those things. You begin to see the holes. It's like, it's, I don't know the name of the movie, but there's a big dinosaur and it's a cartoon. And the guy, this, this dragon, he is, he is just scaring everything. I mean, he's growling and spitting fire. And this little tyke stands before him. Probably somebody knows the name of this, this, this thing. He's standing, he's standing, he's looking up at this dragon and he sees a little hole. And now he understands that the dragon is not as bad as he thinks he is. You know, the world shows you a lot of stuff and it can take you far and, and listen, Sin is fun. I don't tell nobody tell you that sin is not fun. Sin sin can be fun, but it but the end is death, the scripture says. And yeah. and I began to look at that and and I think it was along about the same time I started to really understand the concept of putting yourself in the place where God can do his work in your heart and your life. And then you know what? All of these things begin to look so small. You begin to you know, there's a little hole there. I see it. And and that is not where I want to go. That is not where I belong. Uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to spend my whole life. And I have as a result of some of those people in that book, because they were Christians and they were pointing me toward Christian things. They were not, you know, and and not just to succeed, but to succeed for Christ. Well, First, you said it because starting with me, starting with me. Yes. Well, you said something in your book, and I literally took the quote out of the book. I even put it on my Facebook page because I wanted people to read it. And you stated in your book, and, I, and it's just there's so many great things in your book, Larnell. Seriously, it's a life manual for all of us. But you state in there that bootleggers go to church, drug dealers, and Cartel kingpins, they go to church, but it doesn't make them Christian because stability is not in the money. It's in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I'm reading through your book, there's that reoccurring theme of you knowing everything is based on Jesus Christ. If you go out before 10,000 people, 60,000 people, the only reason you're there is because of the gospel and the light that is in you that you're trying to project upon everybody you come in contact with. Your whole book is a blessing. I think that that concept, I got that, you know, you, you we're still growing, I'm still growing, you're still growing. Uh, 
in my relationship and association with the Billy Graham uh, uh, organization, I did a number of those crusades and it was just wonderful, you know, uh, credibility plus there. And I would see Dr. Graham give his, uh, give the invitation and, uh, and then he would step back and fold his arms. And now uh, we all get it. He is now taking himself out of it, though he's been the instrument and he's allowing the Holy Spirit. Now he is saying to 60,000 people, look, let's see what the spirit is going to do with, with, with what we, with our offering tonight. And you would see thousands of people come, come forward. So, um, uh, it's not in the world. Yeah. It's, it's not out there. You, you may think it is, but I got to tell you the real life is only had through the Lord Jesus Christ and a solid, a solid daily, uh, foundational, uh, the principles of, of the Bible, uh, is, is life full. Amen. Amen. Well, let, let's get into a little bit of music here because I know that Bill and Gloria Gaither have done more for gospel music than anyone I can even imagine. Mm-hmm. I've even lost count on how many careers they've launched and even resurrected. But how much does it mean to you when they said, when it comes time for you to go, go with our blessing? You know, uh, that's their teachers. <laughs> they're teachers. They're, they're like Miss Georgie and, and uh, Mr. Summers and other folks that you'll read about in the book. That's who they are. Listen, I, I, I believe with all my heart, and I, I'm sure this has been said before, I, uh, Bill and Gloria are, um, uh, are the world's ministers of music. <laughs> you know, they're, they've given us so many things that we're going to be uh, uh, using for worship uh, from time of millennium. I mean, when you, when you're, when you, uh, have an account of people out in the bush who don't have access to Christian radio and programs like yours, and they're humming because he lives, they don't know where, they have no idea where it came from, but they're humming that. I mean, that, that, that is, it has, that shows, uh, uh how far reaching, you know, uh, uh, and how much that God has used them over the years and they are graceful people they're lovely people so that's why they say that because you know what we are not we don't threaten one another uh uh, uh the bible says you know one of the things that uh, that uh uh the bible infers is that we if i'm going to have a competition with you it is going to be one to see if i can out love you i'm gonna love more than you let's see how much we can love each other you know how out love and and it has been times in my life when um it it, it wasn't from the stage <laughs> it was it uh, sandy patty sings a song i think the stage is bare you know um uh it's it's after it, it's after the stage. one of the things that 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 uh, that i have encouraged over the years is those people who think that ministry is only from the pulpit or from the stage or from professional people, people who are would be deemed to be professionals. No, God has given all of us something to do. There are people that you're listening to me. There are people who you will reach that I will never be able to reach. Mm-hmm. And there are people that you will never be able to reach that, that, that I will, that, that I have gotten in step with 
and and can share the gospel with them. So don't ne never nullify your testimony. Don't say don't say people don't want to hear it. They want to hear your story. They want to hear what Christ has done in your heart. And I found out, you know what? Even from the platform, that's what people want to hear. That's real. That's visceral. It is something that that excites them. Um, and allows uh, uh, allows them to say, you know what, Christ could love me too. If He could love you, He could love me too. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a try. Well, amen to that. Now, of all the great songs that you have come to be known for over the years, what are some of your personal favorites? Well, there's there's a bunch. You know, boy, that's that's a that's a, that's a hard question. But there's one that I've been singing of late. It's called uh, Disturb Us, Lord. I was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel, and we were being taken about by a Messianic Jewish lady. And she took us to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there are 2,000-year-old uh, olive trees still bearing fruit. And she took us into a part of the garden that uh, a lot of people don't get to, to see, I understand. So we were there, we're singing hymns and, and having fellowship. And, and I started to look, uh, she, she gave us some time just to kind of roam around. And so I started looking around at where Christ sweat that blood. Man, I wanted to see, I wanted to know where that was. I, I, I wanted to know where the disciples slept. I wanted, I wanted to know where, was it by that rock or that, that tree? Where, where was it? And, 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 I, I, as I stood there, I began to identify, unfortunately, identified with the disciples that slept because sometimes that's what we do. And we have to be awakened. We have to be disturbed. And Jesus went over and he awakened them. And he said, can you not pray with me for just, for just one hour, just, just, just one. And they went back, they went back to sleep. And he, you know what I mean? So he's shaking Every once in a while we have to be disturbed. So this song written by some friends of mine called Disturb Us Lord. Lord, disturb me when I have a when I have an opportunity to share testimony. And, and for some reason, the door is wide open. It is obvious that you have brought this opportunity and I don't do it. For, disturb me, Lord, when when uh, when I'm not in the word like I should be. When I and I know it, it is it is not something that that has just gotten away from me. I know that I'm not. Listen, Lord, that I'm sleeping here. I'm sleeping. Wake me up. And he, I can see him shaking those disciples, just kind of gently nudging them. Because Christ always, when he even when he reprimands me, it is always, he always gives me a way out. He doesn't, I don't go. Well, I never see, you know, I don't want to hear that again. You know what I mean? It's always, and we see that through scripture. He, 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 you know, he always gives a way out because he wants to get us into his presence. He's doing nothing to keep us out. And so disturb me, Lord, when, when I, as part of the church, um, don't take on this battle uh, and don't take up my part of the battle of reaching people for Christ because of political correctness or anything else, you know, because if I am truly mindful that there is a heaven awaiting, that there is a hell that exists, I don't want any of my friends or any of the people that are, that are under my, in my sphere of influence to go there. 
Well, you know what? That brings up another question. In your book, and I love the way that you laid it out, you were very, very particular when it came to songwriting, to the songs that you would sing, because you looked at each song as a ministry opportunity to the listener. There were things that you would say, no, 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 we're not, I don't want to sing that. That's that, or maybe there was a word in the title that you thought, well, no one's going to know what that is because your total focus was Jesus and to make sure that Jesus was represented in every song. And I, that, that touched me, Larnell. I, I wrote a song some years ago called, I miss my time with you. I had just been with the Billy Graham, uh, 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 some of the associate meetings, meetings leading up to the uh, crusade. And uh, I, I was uh, in a very bad way spiritually. I was pretty dry. And when I got home, uh, that was a great blessing to me. And when I got home, I, I sat down at the piano and I started playing that little, those, some of those chords. And, and God gave me that little, uh, you know, I miss my time with you. I had never thought of, I always knew that I needed to put myself in the place where God could do his work in my life and in my heart. I, I, I somehow never made it to the fact that when I'm not in his presence willfully and doing everything to, to stay in his presence lovingly, uh, he misses me. And so uh, that song never says Jesus. It doesn't say Jesus at all, but there is no doubt as to what it's about and who it's about. Because one of the things that that has that crossed my heart and my mind throughout my career is that I can sing anything. You know what I mean? You know what? I can sing about uh, love. I can sing about love, but not the kind of love that not agape. I, I, you know, I, I can't just you know that that has. I have to sing about things that in turn that that. I've internalized that, that that have made their way into my that I've allowed. Okay, because we need to protect ourselves, you know, through what we see and what we hear. And there are certain things I just haven't allowed, you know. And, but, but boy, now that it's there, that's life changing. I sang that song; it wasn't. You know what I mean? So, so, so I've paid particularly attention to that because. This is a war. I, I, I want you to understand some folks. This is this is a war. Uh, this is a war between good and evil. You know that that white angel and that uh, the dark one on the on your shoulders that speaks to you. That is a real. Those are real things. The principalities and powers. Uh, there is a battle going on that one we cannot see. And you know what? I've chosen. I have a, made a conscious choice, and listen, I'm not perfect. I don't plan to be. You know, I, I, I have no. I, 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 uh, uh, when this corruptible becomes incorruptible, will I be perfect and ready for heaven? And we're all looking forward to that. But I got to tell you, I want to sing about stuff that makes a difference in people's lives. And there's they, some of those songs are not Christian songs. They're they're good good songs. But you know what? I want to talk about Jesus. I just want to talk about Jesus. Amen. Well, there, I'm going to ask you a question that is actually going to lead into another question about a particular song, which I thought was one of the most powerful chapters in your book. And, and in chapter eight, titled God is Colorblind, and you mentioned an old Sunday school song. 
Red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in his sight. Has society lost sight of that today? You know, um, I'm not certain that unless you are a believer, you even understand that dynamic. You know, um, uh, Tony Evans, <laughs> good friend of mine, he says some. He said something in in one of his sermons. I don't know if heard it on radio or if I heard it at his church. There are no black Christians. There, 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 there are no white Christians. There are no, uh, uh, there are no Chinese Christians. You know, they're just Christians. People who Christ went to a cross and died for. Um, so. Um, uh, Jesus is as colorblind as it can be as it relates to nature and all that his father created. But you know what? Um, he, uh, he I, I, I believe that his heart hurts and bleeds for where we are in society today. Yes, uh, you can legislate. You can legislate jobs. Uh, I can legislate going into restaurants. I can legislate climbing of the ladder, you know, if somebody doesn't get uh, moved up in a company uh, because of color or because of some other other reason that has nothing to do with their intellect or their ability to do the job. Uh, uh, but you cannot legislate love. I can't make you love me. That is just something I can't do. That is a work of the spirit. And, and so go ahead. And that leads me to the next question about a song, Teach Me to Love, which you did yeah. with Steve Green. How yes. much more relevant is that song today than when you first recorded it? It is just as relevant. I have to tell you, at Promise Keepers, we do that. And, and we were uh, uh, with 50,000 men, many of whom, when the 60s hit, and the racial tensions uh, 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 really were at a heightened state as, some, as they are in, in some circles today, many of them, many of us hit the sub suburbs. We never, dealt, we never dealt with those particular issues. I'm talking about Christians now. I'm not talking about non-Christians. We know, you know that they have some, some stuff to deal with. But these were Christian guys, people who, like me, thought that they knew the Lord and, and in many areas were serving him in, in, a, you know, in a dynamic way, suddenly found themselves as a result of hearing that, saying, man, I thought I understood how to love. I see that I've got a way to go. And so um, Steve and I, uh, uh, have this conversation in that song and black and white. And, and what we are saying is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I allow the Lord to teach me what love is and what it's about. And, and, and that if I don't love my brother, how in the world, as I sit here among other 50,000 other men, uh, purport, uh, saying that I'm a Christian, if I don't love Christ, how can I, how can I love my brother? And I, I just, I hope that that still message still resonates through that song and others that are about that, because in this in this time, uh, 
You know, we will never not need that message. That's right. That's right. Love conquers all. And I went back after I read your book, I went back and listened to your song, Teach Me to Love. And I'm like, oh, it just needs to be on the radio. It needs to be played every single day to get that message back out there. And, you know, we even had a discussion at the dinner table last night. You know, if people, you know, if we just erased what the media narrative is out there today and we went and talked to other people, not people like us, but people different from us, we're going to find out that we're really not that much different. We're really the same. And we all have the same desires. We all have the same dreams and hopes. But in the end, Christ said it all comes down to love. And that song, Teach Me to Love, that you and Steve Green did, it's timeless. And the message, the message is like the Word of God. It will always be here and it will never go away. So, you know, that is, I think out of all of the songs that you've ever sung, I think that one probably touched me the most because it is men that probably have the hardest time to actually break out of their own manly shell and say, hey, brother, I love you. Is there something I can do for you? What, what yes. is there something you need to talk about? You know, we need to be there for each other. And, and, I think and, we were, and, and you know what? What I saw uh, in those instances where we did that song at Promise Keepers, uh, they would give an invitation. Those men would come forward and kneel. And, you know, what an opportunity. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. I would go down on the field and Steve would go down and, and other ministers who were there would go down to to uh, uh, to. Uh, to pray with with guys and gals, thousands of them who had come back down because their hearts had just been broken. One thing we know is that a heart is never too broken to mend. Christ stands ready and willing and and uh, uh, with this this love issue. Listen, when somebody talks to me about um, uh, hating someone for, because they're different. I say, listen, listen, dude, you are talking to the wrong, you talk to the wrong man here because I've been in conversations with my friends and it's been like this. Well, let's see, who was it that, that waited on that table? Was it the black guy or the white? No, it was the Chinese guy. It was simply um, uh, adjectives to help us decide who was there but had nothing to do and I believe that that's what Christ, that's what Christ is constantly trying to change our DNA in that regard so that we will, so that, so that I don't see you as a wall, but I see you as an opportunity to get to, to get to know the world through you, through your eyes, through your experiences and you through mine. And yes, we will find out what you just said is that, you know what? We're pretty much the same. Amen. Amen to that. I want to ask you a fun question because I was so amazed in your book that like, wow, Larnell is a serious drummer, but you have <laughs> the most, you have the, one of the coolest hobbies. You're actually a member of the Amateur Radio Hall of Fame, as well as part of the exclusive First Class <laughs> Operators Club. So tell all of us about your ham radio hobby. 
I have been an amateur radio enthusiast for almost 50 years. And this is nothing but, well, what did I say? It's, it's very important to us. Uh, you know, ham radio is used during disasters and uh, communications, uh, uh, providing communications for various events, some of them during disasters. And I'm a CW operator. That is Morse code. I copy Morse code in my head. And, and so if you wanted to sneak in on our conversations on ham radio, which I have friends all over the world, and that's all we do, you know, when we get together, uh, you'd have to learn Morse code. And you know what? I'll teach it to you. Wow. Morse <laughs> code. Who would ever think? Did, did anybody, did, now how did you kind of hide your famous identity? You know, when you're doing ham radio, do you ever tell, did does anybody ever find out that you are the Larnell Harris? Oh, all the time. And you know what? Uh, and, and they asked me about uh, singing and they asked me about uh, the Gaithers and Sandy and Steve and, and I used, I, when I first got on the air, it's been long, it's almost 50 years. I got on and I, I spelled my name, Morse code, Larnell. Well, that's pretty long. So I was talking to an old boy out in California, and he was what we call an OT, an old timer. He'd been there for a long time. After sending it at five words a minute, about seven times, <laughs> he said, he said, you know what? We got to do something about that name. So I use the I use a shortened form of my middle name, Stu S T U. So that's very short, very simple. But there are things on there. There are places on the internet where people go look look you up, and so somebody will look look you up. And I get I get QSL cards. That's what you trade when you make a contact over the world. They will send you a QSL card acknowledging the contact. And you will send them one acknowledging you. And it's kind of a nice thing that, that, that the hams do. And I got to tell you, more than, more than, uh, more than uh, a, a, a little, there are people who say, man, I didn't know who I was talking to. Bless you, my friend. God bless you. And thank you for your music. And, some, and, and even on the air. Uh, a lot of the guys that I talk to regularly, they 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 know that I'm in gospel music because I tell them if they ask me, I don't bring it up till they tell me, till they ask me. And uh, but yeah, it's you can't hide. There's no, there's you know what? I don't want to hide because it gives me an opportunity to say, God bless you, take care, uh, and let the Lord lead your life through through uh, Morse code. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here thinking, so somebody is going to be on ham radio talking to you, but they're going to ask you a question about music, but it all comes to you in Morse code. Morse code. All Morse wow. code. That is the most impressive thing <laughs> I think I've heard in the last 10 years, Larnell. I, no. I'm so I was impressed when I was just reading about you being a serious <laughs> drummer and even through the whole, you know, and ladies and gentlemen, I can't give the whole book away. I want to tell you about the whole book because it's that good. It, again, this is not just about Larnell Harris's story. It's a life manual for all of us. There are people in our lives that, that we become the clay into their hands and they mold us in different ways. And, and we pray that those people are sent by God himself. So That's our lives are ordained by the Lord. And Larnell, I learned so much from your book, I, I've had to take bits and pieces and say, okay, 
I need to add that to my prayer life. You know, so we <laughs> learn from one another. And brother, just as your song says, teach me to love, I love you. You're, you're just incredible. But I, I can tell through our conversation today that the love of Jesus pours out of you like a waterfall. You know, Christ has done something wonderful in my life. I remember that there, there is no longer a trip than I have ever taken in my life, and I've been around the world, than the distance between believing and not believing. And, and sometimes I sit and I think about, man, there was a time when I didn't believe it. How did I get here? And the Bible tells me it was through the work of the Holy Spirit as he worked and tenderized my heart toward the things of faith. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, what is next for Larnell Harris? You know, me and Miss Mitzi getting ready to celebrate 50 years of our marriage. And I'm uh, I, I'm kind of headed toward home. You know, uh, I've been out there a long time and there's nothing like waking up uh, uh, with Miss Mitzi and spending time with her and the family and the grand. We got grandkids. And so we are we are loving this season of our lives. Oh, praise the Lord. And. Larnell, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, Larnell Harris's book, Shaped Notes, How Ordinary People with Extraordinary Gifts Influence My Life and Career. And think about it. Get that book. Go to larnell.com. It's at the bottom of your screen. Get the book. Now, I downloaded it into my Kindle. I'm a big Kindle reader. And I've read the book. I've got it. I've got so many pages highlighted. You will too. You're going to learn so much. You're going to learn about the man. You're going to learn about the music, but you're going to learn about life. And then you're going to be looking back and looking at all of the hands that shaped you. Hopefully they were all shaped in the good way, but that's okay. And if they weren't, we have the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace pouring over us to smooth out the rough edges. Amen. And you know what, Larnell, before we go, it also reminds me that as you and Steve Green sing that song, Teach Me to Love, that's iron sharp as iron and hmm. helps us as men and ladies too to become better people for Christ so that way we become brighter to shine his light to everyone around us. And I want to thank you so much for all that you've done. Well, thank you. And what a great pleasure it has been to talk with you today. Well, Larnell, many blessings to you and Mitzi. And I'm going to say happy 50th anniversary to you and your wife and many blessings to you and your family. And uh, hey, just keep on keeping on. I know I won't be able to uh, really learn Morse code at the, at the moment, <laughs> but uh, you know, dot, 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 dash, dash, dash. Much love to you. Thank you, my friend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, stick around because we have more right after this.